I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. Founder of Not On The High Street and Holly & Co, I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses. I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. And my dream is to help everyone start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the greatest way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs and those who just simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down where we're going, you won't need to. This week on Conversations of Inspiration, I'm speaking to mindful chef founders Miles and Giles. It was a wonderfully inspirational interview and a true pleasure to hear the founders openly discussing their business's highs and lows over the last five years, but also how a giving mentality can transform a weekly recipe box into a true force for good by championing British farmers and even giving back to those in need. You can hear in this episode how these two literally went from packing their boxes to navigating a successful round of crowdfunding and how exciting it is as a small business using the power of your customers and your community as your biggest and most powerful marketing tool. I hope that this episode will inspire just so many small businesses out there. You too can make a difference and maybe even start your own B Corp journey, just like us at Holly & Co. Hi guys, so lovely to meet you both here in your Wandsworth Head office. I've just heard you've recently won London and South East Startup of the Year in the Great British Entrepreneur Awards, which is a fantastic achievement. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. So I'm sitting with award winners and you're sitting with a couple of diehard fans at Holly & Co. So we couldn't wait to hear your story, hear about the way that you're revolutionising the way we eat. So thank you so much for your time. So you're two of the three founders. Robert was your other co-founder when you started the business, but I'm here with you both and I cannot wait to hear about your upbringing, your journey leading up to finding and founding Mindful Chef. You started out and still are, hopefully, great friends, but you were both old school friends in Devon. Miles, do you want to go first and just tell us about how this all began? Sure. So as you said, um, Giles, myself and Rob all went to school together in Devon. Um, it's, it's quite funny, actually, we're all slightly different ages, but we're within that age range that you'd always either play sports together at school or, you know, for um, myself and Giles, we'd go down and spend summers in Cornwall. So you'd be working, you know, the car park job or, you know, in the local <laughs> grocery store, and then you'd be surfing after work and then going out and spending time with your friends. Um, so, you know, we, we were very close and actually it was back in 2014, Rob was working in finance, Giles was working in marketing, MC Saatchi, I was a personal trainer and nutritional coach and, and Rob, I think he'd had a had enough of finance, you know, come home for the summer. He was already uh, burning out, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he'd done a few years of... by then. Yeah. Um, he'd come back and he was working on a little two-man trawler called the Compass Rose, which you can see proudly emblazoned on one of our rooms over there. Um, and they'd go out each day 
and they go fishing and essentially what they do is they would text all the villagers on their way in at about 5 p.m. and they'd say, they'd have about 200 of them, they'd go, look, this is what we've caught for the day. If any of you would like to buy any of it, just meet us at the docks when we come in and we'll sell it to you. And Giles and I were there and we saw, you know, about 50, 60 people waiting on the docks to buy this incredibly fresh fish straight off the boats. And we thought, you know, that's that eureka moment of, mm. this is how food should be sourced. This is how mm. you should buy it straight from supplier, whether it's a fisherman or farmer, straight to your homes. So then we sort of thought, okay, well, how can we really do this? And, and we'd seen recipe boxes in the States and they just moved over to the, to the UK. So we thought that's a really good way of doing it. But what's important to us and being very keen sportsmen, you know, uh, spending our free time surfing or at the beach, whatever it might be. Um, we thought, OK, well, what's a real pain point for people? It's not sending them a pasta bake week in, week, week out that they can cook. It's actually healthy eating. People don't know what it is or they can't be bothered to spend the time shopping for it. And they're not inclined to cook it. So if you can make that really easy for mm -hmm. somebody, then not only we have positive impact on their personal lives because they're get, feeling healthier, getting healthier, but also we thought from a business point of view, actually, you know, retention rates, everything else will be, will be better just because people stick with you longer. And Giles, did you go to the pub straight afterwards and chat about this sort of moment from the fishing boat? Yeah, we did actually. So we were we were down in Devon in the summer when the fishing boat moment happened. But then for the rest of that year, we sat down over numerous coffees and lunches and thumbing through these ideas and saying, "Oh, this is this is really exciting." Realizing just how nascent the online grocery category was. Mm. That was one big revelation. Was like, wow, actually. It's such a huge opportunity, but then no one is shopping online for groceries at the moment. I think at the time it was like less than 4% of all groceries in the UK were online, including Tesco, Ocado, everyone. That's and, unbelievable. And now it's only, it's still less than 7%. And as we were working through these quite mind-blowing stats, I mean, given how much is spent on groceries, you know, it's yeah. the, humans need to eat, everyone needs to have their dinner, you know, 365 days a year. So we were kind of looking at this opportunity going, wow. And then we would just unearth more and more little gems over those, that kind of five month period where we were having these quiet coffees and getting more and more excited, I guess. More and more ready for that resignation letter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When are you going to do it? Did you do it all at the same time? Uh, no, actually. So Giles went sort of part-time first, you know, took the yep. plunge. We, dipped you know, his toe. Dipped his toe while Rob and I just kept doing our jobs and then working, you know, the 20 hours extra doing, yes. like, helping out. And um, so Giles went first with another friend who we convinced to help us out on the sort of sourcing and warehouse side. And it wasn't until we launched in 2015, uh, April of 2015. Yeah. Right next to my birthday, I think it was, 14th. My birthday's Great on birthday. the 15th, so we know when it is. And, um, and then Rob and I didn't move full-time until November of that year when we could actually actually afford to go okay we've got a little bit more money shall yeah. we do this and take the plunge and you know that's when you sort of you'll know starting your own business you're not paying yourselves anything but you're paying you're yourselves just enough to sort be of make able it to pay by. your rent yeah. and yeah. all exactly. those Quite sorts literally. of things uh, yeah absolutely um so you founded the business uh, those first steps you know anyone listening and um, when they write in they're like holly talk about the first steps because i think that's you know we can talk about how much success you've had, but it is those days, isn't it, where you're not being paid a salary. You've got to work out everything. I mean, absolute A to Z of the whole business falls on your laps. Did you have enough investment at the beginning just to start? Because you obviously had quite high costs, did you? Warehousing? Yeah, we, so... I would say the short answer is no, we didn't have enough investment. We underestimated that massively, largely because of underestimating the perishable goods industry. That's the main thing was 
wow, this is complex. Yeah, working. we thought, how, is, how hard would it be just send fresh food? <laughs> we realised, yeah, But naivety hard. is the blessing, isn't it? I mean, if you had known what you know now, you might not have started, right? So go on, carry uh, on. So that was, a, that was a major thing was, wow, there's all sorts of food regulations, health and safety, local councils, etc. Um, and even if you tick all those boxes, just actually getting produce to consumers through the post, it's actually quite complex looking good, feeling good, fresh, as promised. These are living, breathing organisms. And you're saying, oh, we'll get you your avocado. And by the way, it will be perfectly ripe and et cetera, et cetera. I guess the early days was interesting because actually when you asked that question, it made me think back to stuff that we don't really discuss, such as when it was Miles part-time, me full-time, Rob a little bit part-time. We did everything, everything ourselves. So photographing the recipes, Mm -hmm. got a hold of dad's old SLR camera, on a, on a desk in our apartment. I remember measuring up with Miles in, in my apartment, the very first boxes, just going, I have no idea about cardboard box manufacturers and dimensions and all these things that you forget about now. But don't, in, um, sorry to jump in, just don't forget actually making the recipes as well. <laughs> we were like, you know, <laughs> we'll just come up with some recipes. It can't be that difficult. And then a few weeks in, we're like, okay, we get it now. We get why yeah. chef, there are chefs. Like, it's yeah, that, really yes, difficult, actually. Isn't it incredible? It's, it's so nice, isn't it, just actually to spend a moment re- recounting those the, these incredible things you do to start up a business. As you said, you know, it's that courage, isn't it, to say, I don't need to be skilled to do this. We're going to do this together, deal with the bump along the way. But actually the courage that you had just to go, we're going to go into the unknown and we're going to solve a problem. When you were creating these recipe boxes, you instantly realised, as you said, that you needed a chef. Tell me about that moment. And did you get somebody in quite quickly when you realised that your culinary skills were not... uh, not up to scratch. Not up to scratch. <laughs> I mean, so it the service is very different to what it is today. We start and recipe boxes as a whole were very different to what they are, even though it's only been four years or whatever. You know, we only had three recipes um, yep. each week. There was no choice, um, so it was a lot more basic. But I suppose, yeah, after a after a couple of months, actually, I think it was probably three or four months when we thought, okay, this is actually quite complicated, and also we want to really expand out this range. So you know, we had big plans for January 2016 where we wanted to create the first vegan box and recipes because we just saw that trend like rising and we wanted to be able to cater for it. So actually we had a friend of a friend. This is how a lot of our first employees were. They were all friends of friends or family or whatever. (laughs) And um, called Louisa, who uh, was a trained chef. She'd moved into food PR, become a bit disillusioned with that, I think, and then actually just came and interned for us for two weeks, um, helping with some PR bits, and, and actually she just ended up cooking us lunch. And, you know, we th- she ended up cooking some amazing recipes, and we were like... Another light bulb moment. Yeah, (laughs) we need to. And we loved her. And we were like, we we can't let this one go. So um, she was going off to India for like a yoga retreat. And we're like, as soon as you come back, will you come and work for us? And luckily enough, she said yes. And her job, I can't explain to you how hard it is or was because, you know, she was we sanded the recipes to probably 10 a week, I think. And if you think a normal chef probably changes the menu once a month, maybe twice tops, she was creating five new recipes every single week. So just the amount of work that was going into that and actually five really high quality recipes, you know, mm. delicious. Mm. We've got a lot of restrictions, you know, with gluten free, dairy free, only 10 ingredients, no refined carbohydrates. When you start putting all these restrictions on, mm. 
the Rubik's it's a lot cube harder. Is, yeah, it's incredible as you have such a variety of different foods and flavors, and yet they are all proportioned. They're all easy to follow. They, they anyone can cook them. It's such a clever idea. Tell me about the food, as you're not only promoting mindful eating, but all your produce is mindful too. So I think one of the big points we didn't discuss earlier about what, where do you start was we spent a lot of time thinking what do we want our business to be what do we want it to stand for and what's really important actually to consumers where are the pain points all those sorts of things and we thought okay well if we're going to create our own business and we're going to leave our jobs that actually we all enjoyed relatively maybe not rob going back home for the <laughs> summer but uh, you know we all enjoyed it was like it's got to really mean something so we thought okay well the clue's kind of in the name right so it's being mindful of your suppliers that you use, giving the farmers a better deal, making sure that you're using great ingredients um, and just being mindful of sort of your wider impact. So we sort of did that from the very beginning. And then, you know, there are some amazing suppliers throughout the UK. We just started off in the southwest because we grew up with them on our on our doorsteps mm -hmm. and we just wanted to really showcase them to the rest of, of, of the UK. And um I just think, you know, when you hear some of the horror stories when we're down on the farm with Farmer Govia, just mm. in Crediton sort of way, and, you know, they'd have some of the big supermarkets, they'd be ready to sell them two fields worth of kale and then they turn up the day before and they go, well, we're dropping the price by 50%. And, you know, there's nothing these guys can do because they, have to, they have to sell it and it's ready to go, you know? So it's you hear disgusting. these horror stories and you just think there's got to be a better way of doing this from consumer side and also from the supplier side. And I think we get quite a fine, we get a good balance of it. I spoke to Keith, the Abel and Coles founder for this podcast. You know, his biggest driver in the business was to support the farmers. And he told this wonderful story of um, how he saved a family um, dairy farm overnight by investing in them and preventing the farmer from killing off all of his cows. It's something we're not told enough about as consumers, are, are we at all? I mean, voting with our money, supporting British free range as much as possible. Um, and through businesses such as yours and Abel and Cole and people like that and Rowan from Naked Wines I spoke to, you know, phenomenal person, you know, cutting out that middleman and treating those with vineyards um, with respect. You know, and he also had horrific stories of the guy turning up in a Porsche, you know, and deciding that um, he wouldn't pay what he had promised to pay for the grapes and they had you know you're held to ransom at that point um how have you seen your business affect producers affect british farming well one example that stands out is someone that we've been working with for well over probably probably three years now is the british quinoa company a guy called stephen who miles and i when did we go up to his farm maybe a couple of years ago yeah three years ago basically most quinoa in the supermarkets is um sourced from south america but you can grow it in the uk there's mm. no no one really knows that but quinoa can be grown in the uk and there's a there's a small little company run by literally a father and son team i mean it, it isn't big and we found this company we said well if you can grow it in the uk let's go and source it from the uk went and met this guy Stephen, who's probably only about our age isn't he? he's a bit he's a, he may be a bit older but he's probably mid-30s and, he, mm -hmm. and he's really passionate mm -hmm. he's on a family farm and, and we were asking well why do you not supply some of the big supermarkets and he said to be honest they just want um they want to drive down the price but also they want it really they want the quinoa to be white and cleaned and milled etc and his quinoa basically is unmilled so it has basically little husks on the outside and it comes brown as well once once the husks are clear and we were thinking that's crazy is there any taste difference he was like no it's actually probably better here um so we, we're supporting people like him mm. in fact with 
him in particular, lots of our recipes contain quinoa because it's so good for you. It's a super mm-hmm. grain. So mm-hmm. we use it a lot. So we're really propping up little businesses mm-hmm. like that up and down the country mm-hmm. and making sure that if we can source in the UK, we will. It's important to us, really important that we go and take the time. And uh, and also in our case, Miles and I will go onto the farms. We'll, yeah. fi- we'll make videos with them as well so we can bring that Supplier. Take the customer along with you. Yeah, take, you take them on a journey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And your meat is a hundred percent grass-fed. Chicken is free-range. Fish is landed fresh into the UK. I mean, this is fantastic. Yeah. Well, nobody else is doing that, especially not in the well, a lot of time not in the supermarkets, and a lot of time not in the sort of recipe box category. And we thought, well, look. We're positioning ourselves as sort of this voice and this champion of great British produce and actually what is best for the customer. And people want to be able to buy, you know, free range chicken. They want to be able to buy completely 100% grass fed beef. But um, sometimes they just don't have the means. So it's just bringing these suppliers to the forefront. And like Giles was saying, take them on that journey. Take it like sort of make it as transparent as as uh, you can because that's what a lot of people are worried about now is actually where are these sort of you know hidden screens and mirrors like with the supermarkets and where's my food coming from so we're able to actually take them onto the farms with these amazing suppliers and tell their story as well. Say hey, this is Steve. There's kind of there's another example that's great to share is so obviously we always say our fish will be landed in the UK and will never fly in from Thailand for example mm-hmm. and so that basically removed prawns which people love so yes. customers started saying who loved us they were like i've noticed you never do any prawns and we said well 99.9 percent of the uk's sold prawns comes from thailand or vietnam or i think it's sri lanka huge farms over there and we weren't air freighted in so sorry and then eventually we found the uk's first prawn farm where someone some entrepreneur um, yes. up in uh lincolnshire land lincolnshire had built these huge eco-friendly tubs essentially but massive uh, it's a prawn farm essentially and they've gone to hawaii and they got a few of the king prawns from hawaii and a couple from um vietnam etc and they start breeding them in the uk you can u- using uk salt water and we went and visited them we thought wow these are amazing these basically king prawns the size of your hand and we said when you're ready we'd love to sell them to our customers and the customers voted with their feet in terms of we put them on the menu and 33 percent of customers bought these things and just kept on coming back saying please like give us more we love them we love them so lots of things like that where you have to you almost have to go and support other entrepreneurs who mm-hmm. are breaking ground a little mm-hmm. bit oh it's it's really fascinating going back to those early days of um starting then i read that you used to hand deliver to friends and family that's that story isn't it like n- no one else could do it that it was your baby you wanted to make sure it happened what were the significant sort of key changes you would say in your business the tipping point that had you out of the delivery van into now, you know, the business point, you know, what was that moment? So, yeah, I do remember we had a, the, the van was a kind of Del Boy trotter. Um, it wasn't quite a three wheeler, but it basically looked like that. And we One prou- of the wheels was hanging off. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You, you count it as a three wheeler, probably. And we proudly put our logo on the side. And, you know, I remember getting the vinyls in from a mate who did it for free for a box and all these kind of things. And we had the vinyl on the outside. And we were so proud of that van. We got some funny photos of us stood by it, you know, proud as punch. Drove this van around. Miles would be driving. I'd be on instagram doing the posts you know trying yes, to yes. keep marketing the business yes. and we'd be driving to it like one drop in the northernmost northwest london and then driving a kind of hour and a half through central literally in gridlock traffic going what are we doing <laughs> to drop the second box in southwest london etc so and how we, many boxes were you dropping at that i mean point? The, the first week was 10 
Yeah. Second okay. week was 12. Yeah. I mean, it literally was yes. so slow in the early days. Yes. Um, but I think to your question, the tipping point. So we, we did that for, didn't we do that for about a year, nine months, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Nine months to a year of, of delivering ourselves. And the tipping point was actually, we got to packing about in the warehouse where we had this tiny warehouse. I mean, literally it was the size of this room. And for the listeners, this room is tiny. And we got to, I think it was about 700 boxes a week. And we decided, wow, okay, it's doing well. We had just expanded outside London at this point, And we had decided to use a courier company, which actually worked really well. And it was... It was that point we said, okay, we now need to take this to the next level. We can't, you know, we were going to the warehouse 6, 7 a.m. every Saturday and Sunday doing the packing at the weekends, often till 7 p.m. at night and then going home, answering the calls on our mm-hmm. mobile for, you know, a courier. Customer might service. Yeah, customer service. And then coming in on Monday pretty frazzled. So you wouldn't be fresh for the week. And that, that's when we decided mm-hmm. um, that kind of led us into crowdfunding, really, and, and the first, first round of investment, which changed everything in terms of being able to get some staff in, et cetera. That crowdfunding, how did you go about that? So you did you decide, right, we've got fans, they might want to invest. This is going to be a great medium for us to advertise, isn't it? Because crowdfunding not only is just raising money, but it's a great, you know, awareness drive. How was that whole experience? Yeah, so I suppose before crowdfunding, we've notoriously been very lean at Mindful Chef in terms yes. of mouth Well, it sounds staff like it, and, seven days a week. Yeah, and yeah, it's just, you just you just do it yourselves and you just get it done. But um, but crowdfunding, honestly, was because nobody nobody wanted to put money in. You know, recipe box market was still very, relatively young. People weren't sure how different we were to the other big guys, even though it's quite apparent now. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, we can see it now. So our only option actually was to sort of go on to crowd crowdfunding websites. And, um, but before then, you know, we would spend all of our marketing money would just be free boxes going out to influencers and, you know, just saying, look guys, if, would you like a box? If you like it, we'd really appreciate it if you could share a post. And because people liked what mindful chef stood for and sort of the values we'd instill, we actually got a lot of people actually doing it. So mm. we got some big traction there and managed to slowly grow the business. We didn't have any money for real marketing. Um, and then crowdfunding, you know, went out through the city for four or five months beforehand trying to see if anyone was keen to put any sort of money in. We did have a really engaged customer base as well, though, so we thought they would want to get involved. And the most important point was to take people on a journey, tell them the story. And I think we managed to articulate that really well in the video. You know, for us, it was, let's just go home. <laughs> let's yes. go back to Devon. Yes. Let's get on the Compass Rose. Let's go around to some of the suppliers and let's just tell people how it started and, and what we're trying to do. And, you know, the result of that was we put a target of 400,000. Giles, myself and Rob were in the pub the day before, hadn't paid ourselves for three months, paid the three staff we had. And we were like, it's kind of do or die now. Like, you know, living in London's expensive at the best yes, of times. Yes. So if you're not paying yes, yourselves, it's even yes, more expensive. Yeah. And we thought, well, we're just going to have to do it because it's, it's ready to go. We don't know if any money's coming in. And um, luckily we we're oversubscribed, raised a million in 12 days. We had about 500 customers get involved you know from 10 pounds to more and then um actually andy murray and victoria pendleton also got involved which was fantastic from pr credibility point of view and they were actually customers beforehand which we didn't know just under different names so that was yeah quite a journey uh, that whole experience. amazing thing and for anyone listening about this whole crowdfunding thing is that you need to get as many people excited about this fundraising this fundraising where anyone can invest in but you were also looking for sort of um you wanted to bank something didn't you you probably wanted to know some proper money because 
because there's going to otherwise a lot of £10 would have to be raised. So is that what you did? So you, you had a little black book that you wanted to fill with people who were excited from the city, basically. Is, is, is that a piece of advice for anyone who's thinking about fundraising? Yeah, it, it definitely was. I mean, so when you approach a crowdfunding site, they'll normally, they have their own analysts, etc. So Cedars and Crowdcube will have their own analysts. And don't quote me on this, but I think they reject about 70% yeah. of applications and basically say either, look, it's only an, an idea on a piece of paper, you need to go and have a proof of concept or get some yes. some form of revenues. Once which you, you had, right? Which we had, you which had, we were fortunate. Yeah. Although I have to say they don't reject all ideas on pieces of paper yes, if yes. they think it's good enough. And when we went to them, what they'll tell you is, by the way, you should come with about 25% of your raise already in the bank, so yes, to speak. So yes. that People was our, have already said to you, I'll commit this money. Exactly. And that was our, our first um, surpri- hurdle. Su- surprise and hurdle yeah, was, yeah. okay, we've got to go, we want to raise 400,000. And they recommended that we want to have about roughly 100,000 of that ready so that when you go live, obviously there's momentum, et cetera, and there's people um, right. buying in. So we, that's where we took about six months where we were just traipsing around the city, meeting anyone and everyone. And it really was, oh, these guys work in the city. Maybe they'll have... £5,000 spare. Maybe they'll have a £1,000 spare. And what what that kind of opened doors, really, because we put together a nice pitch deck. Mm-hmm. We put together some financials. We put together this great video for crowdfunding. And we would just send it to people and say, look, we're not precious about seeing our financials. We're still a loss-making business. We're still really, really small. But here they are. Have a look. And we were quite open. And then it just got passed on. So you'd meet someone who yes. might consider 5,000 and they would tell, they would, they would say, oh, you should meet so-and-so. They're interested in this space as well. They might be interested in more like 20,000. Mm-hmm. And to cut a long story short, it was lots of meetings. I think it was about 100, 150. Mm-hmm. And by the end, what we had was maybe 50 to 60 names on a piece of paper on a spreadsheet. I was of, going to say, of, did you have a little we're, we're, list of, of people? Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and, everyone was like, I might of, be in. Of I'll wait and see who else is in. So nobody's in until somebody else is Someone in. Someone commits. So and, and we literally yeah, had this spreadsheet where it was fence sitters, yes, and no's. And there was loads of no's. And there was loads of fence sitters. And there was, I think, one, yes, I'm in regardless. And, and what happened was that one happened to be um, a stranger that we never met, but believed in it. It was brilliant. And they had, I think it was about, it was a fairly sizable ticket. It was about £30,000, say. Then we managed to persuade a couple of friends. We were like, come on, you, you can top it up a bit. And basically the, the morning we went live, all of those fence sitters, the minute they saw other people were in, and they had they had obviously been through six months of conversations, and they yes, they'd seen yes. everything they needed to see, and they'd seen the financials. Yes. Uh, so it was an informed decision. Uh, they they all just went boom. I mean, literally like ninety percent of the fence sitters just what a moment. They, you know, the minute you can see a green bar moving on a yes, on a web page yeah. is the minute that people go, oh, I'm I'm I might miss out here. Yes. Um, and and so basically it was a snowball effect. And if you couple that with with also then going live to the public, and as Miles said, your customers which was the biggest surprise to us. The customers came out of the woodwork and a lot of them were fairly wealthy and were were really happy. You know, one customer in particular, I'll never forget the meeting. Um, We won't give his name, but he basically said, can you meet in Mayfair tomorrow morning? I've just heard, I've just seen your crowdfunding campaign. I've seen the email come out. Um, Can you meet meet us? And we're like, yeah, okay. So we met met this this chap and he basically said, "Um, I've been a customer for a year. I absolutely love it. My wife is fuming with me because she told me to approach you to invest about nine months ago, saying saying this is the future of eating healthy dinners and, and online groceries. And now we've seen the crowdfunding campaign. So uh, we're in for £200,000. And it was things like that that just blew us away and went, wow, that's how we got to the million very quickly. Yeah. 
to be honest, Holly, I saw the green bar go and I thought, thank God I can pay rent this month. <laughs> so that was pretty much what I was thinking. I am so, oh gosh, it's those moments. I interrupt your day with an important campaign message straight from the Shop Independent Campaign Headquarters. Like every year, we've gone all out to bring to life my mission in life, that we need to vote with our money and shop small. And there isn't a more important time to do this than at Christmas. So we've got amazing artists donating bespoke campaign artwork, including Rob Ryan, Dave Buonaguidi, Survival Techniques, Ollie Fowler and Rebecca Strickson. Some available for you to buy and some ready for you to regram or download from our site to create your own placards or proudly just display these works of art on your office wall or in your shop window. And if you want to get involved, you can. If you'd like to send in your own contribution to this campaign, please do. Send it in to us at Campaign Headquarters and you can find all the details on my website, holly.co. I love this end of our year. For me, it's what makes Christmas. The postman arrives in the office every day with beautiful packages of creativity. And I'll be capturing everything that's sent in to me on my Instagram stories and tagging you in. And thanks to our partner, NatWest, who believe in the power of small as much as I do, I'll be travelling the length and breadth of this country with my placards, visiting independent towns and campaigning for everyone to shop with their independence this Christmas and vote with their money. So please do look out for my announcements. Thanks a lot. Every week, there's an opportunity to have your very own ad break on this podcast, and it's all thanks to our partner, NatWest. NatWest's mission is to empower entrepreneurs, and so they're offering their very own ad break on this very podcast to any small business listening to help promote themselves for free. For your chance to win this incredible opportunity worth thousands and thousands of pounds, take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert to independentadbreak at holly.co or find out more information on our website. This week's winner of the NatWest Independent Ad Break is Pennies and Feathers. Over to you. My name is Jessica and I am the founder of Pennies and Feathers, a new natural British beauty brand that was created from a love story. I very sadly lost my mum to breast cancer in 2015 when she was only 56 years old and myself 26. I wanted to give back and to create a certified organic, transparent skincare brand that only used the highest quality botanical oils in memory of my mum. This is what she wanted to use herself during treatment. The brand is named Pennies and Feathers as my mum told me before she passed that if there was any way she could let me know that she was still around then she would do so by leaving Pennies and Feathers in my path. The products are all made by hand in the English countryside and the beautiful packaging has been sustainably designed to be reused on your dressing table. A little something extra and less waste too. You can follow along my brand and journey at www.penniesandfeathers.co.uk or by following us at Pennies and Feathers. Thank you for listening. 
If you'd like to take NatWest up on their generosity and be listened to by thousands of people, take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert to independentadbreaks at holly.co. We're looking for the wonderful stories that only small businesses can tell and have created more information on exactly what we're looking for on our website, holly.co. What have you got to lose? Get recording. I can't wait to have a listen. Now back to Conversations of Inspiration. A lot of celebrities that use your um, wonderful boxes from the Beckhams to Fern Cotton, Tom Daly, Andy Murray, Victoria, as you said, some which have even invested, as you said, in the business. And you've done some great collaborations as well. And recently you teamed up with Fern for her new book, Happy Vegan. I thought that was a really clever idea, you know, taking the book and publishing and her and you. Tell me about how that all came about. Yeah, so, well, you know, Fern's great, isn't she? She's so, just, you know, yes. she was somebody we, we really wanted woman. to work with, yeah. And, um, you know, she fits in very well with our brand and our values and probably our customers as well. You know, everything Fern sort of stands for, I think we can find a lot of synergies between Fern and Mindful Chef. Um, so really, we just reached out, actually. We said, who who would we really like to work with? And, you know, Fern was one of those people. Um, and I've gone up and done lots of cooking demonstrations at her events and things like that. And then she's come in to we were at sort the same of... Event, yeah, we, we were at Happy Place, yes, yeah. Yes, brilliant. Um, and the book side and recipe box collaboration, for us, it was a no-brainer because we thought... What's the best thing about recipe boxes? It's actually that it's kind of like a recipe book. You just mm. open it up, but you don't have to go shopping. <laughs> you know, yeah. you don't have to go and buy all those jars of spices that sit in your cupboard for weeks Specialized on end. Specialised ingredients. Yeah, you, yes. Exactly. And I, I, we just thought, wouldn't it be a great experience for sort of people who want to buy Fern's book as well or for our customers to sample or try out some of her recipes from the book and actually we'll send you everything you need so we make it so easy um, we actually saw a big sort of uplift in those uh, choices of recipes like Fern's cho- uh, recipes for those weeks so actually there is demand there and people do want to try something new and they want to see okay what what's this book all about really what what are these recipes so yeah it, from our point of view it's worked really well and as I said Fern's lovely and we just like to do lots of different events you know mindful chef isn't just a recipe box actually we try and we try and do a whole lot more than just mm. recipe what a recipe mm. box does it's just, I just think it's just very, very clever because uh, partially I don't believe in the classic marketing anymore. You know, things are moving forward. And so I think this idea of collaborating, doing things that are new and, you know, mixing it all up and taking publishing and taking people and philosophies and coming together and sharing customers and all these sorts of things I really do believe is the future. I want to just move the conversation on to this shift that we've seen in the way that people eat. And over the past few years it's just been incredible uh, veganism especially more than half a million adults in the UK are believed to be vegan and last year more vegan products were launched in this country than any other country because of this demand for meat-free food and it grew almost a thousand percent the rise in popularity um, linked to fitness too with um, current and former elite athletes such as Lewis Hamilton and also deforestation is this is huge for your 
your business? How do you cater for the changing diets? Flexitarians, pescatarians, vegans. I just recently become a pescatarian. I was the biggest meat eater. Um, so I know it actually happens. How do you deal with this? And how are you going to deal with it? When Because I'm sure things are going to change even more. Yeah, I, th- I think it's really important to know that Mindful Chef isn't one set diet what we've always tried to do and the clue again is in the name is be as mindful of as many people as possible and be as inclusive of, of as many people you know lots of people don't realize that we're gluten-free and dairy-free because we don't shout about it and Giles and I will still eat pizzas and you know have burgers at the weekend and whatever we're not warriors but for the pure fact of lots of people who might be inclined to eat that way nobody was catering for them and to mm-hmm. be quite honest with you it's very easy to do guess what you just include more vegetables into recipes or whatever yeah. it is you know you don't use processed ingredients your conversation around veganism is really important that we thought well if we're going to offer plant-based recipes why aren't we catering for everyone so actually let's just make them adhere to some of these rules because then not only can vegetarians eat them but vegans can eat them as well and the big shift for us and what we've seen with our customer base and this is where i truly believe the future is because you won't change everyone's mind overnight. But what we will see, and we are seeing, are lots of people are including more plant-based recipes in their boxes every single week. So the guys who are getting three or four meat and fish each week, they're actually getting two now, and they're getting two plant-based recipes. Because guess what? When you get everything sent to you, you don't have to think about it, and you're worried because you think it's not going to be enough protein in there, or it's not going to taste good, or it's going to be too difficult. When it's all in front of you, laid out in really simple steps, and you can do it like that's that's made it really easy for customers. Um, but you're right. Yes, lots of people are um, taking on plant based diets. We see it as well. We see our sort of percentage base of vegan customers increasing. But, you know, the health benefits truly, I think, come from just eating a more varied and more mm. inclusive diet of mm. vegetables and fruits and, you know, nuts and just cutting out more processed ingredients. Really, when you're sourcing free-range chicken when you're sourcing 100% grass-fed beef you know we're not talking about intensive farming on the levels that you're seeing in America or Brazil we're talking about the UK here it doesn't happen like you'd see it happening that's the point we're a lot better and I think that's one of the big points to make you should be supporting British suppliers whether that be vegetables or meat or fish and you should be supporting people who are doing it the right way sustainable farming and that's sort of where we go and find those people who are doing it that way because they fit in with what we're trying to do as well. Interestingly, from a data point of view, we see so only about 10% of our customers are pure vegan. Actually, the, the biggest trend in the probably the last 18 months has been the people including one vegan dish. You know, my parents would have never have, had a vegan dish once a week, but now they have three meals of which two are vegan every single week. Mm. Um, rewind five years that would have never been the case it's it's just it's incredible isn't it what's happening similarly my parents now are vegetarian um all week and only eat meat at the weekend they decided that my my other half who's a great meat eater you know is and my teenage son who you know when i talked about plants and things like that had some sort of hissy fit um basically we're talking about it as a family it is happening, isn't it? And it's it's incredible. It, it leads me into wanting to talk to you about B Corp because, um, as I was mentioning before the interview, Holly and Co has started our B Corp journey. We've done the assessment, we've got our points, and we're we're trying to do better. And we're going to try and take everyone along with our B Corp journey. And um, I thought maybe that it was just me who was interested in it, and I was going. Actually, so many people who are listening right now are really fascinated in this. Can you just describe what becoming a B Corp meant for you and the business? And, you know, you were set up almost in a way, similarly to Holly & Co, we're set up to support small businesses. So anything that we built was 
all around doing good for people. And, and as you said, you built this company with this at the front of your mind. Has it changed things? So I suppose there are two motivating factors be- behind becoming a B Corp. One was we were doing all of these, what we think are really great things, but often you can't necessarily just say them to people or they don't necessarily believe you when you say them. So it was that sort of third party accreditation and stamp of approval. And then the other sort of motivating factor was actually becoming a part of something that was a lot bigger than just Mindful Chef. You know, the whole point about B Corps is it's a community of companies who are trying to better the way that businesses operate. You know, it's not all, as I said, solely focused on profit. Can you give a better deal to your employees? Can you give a better deal to shareholders, to your suppliers, to the way you you package things, you know, to your negative outcomes on the environment because of your business? It's taking all of that into consideration and trying to find solutions to those problems and also wider problems as well, putting your heads together. You know, we have the B Corp Summit each year and things like that where you join up with other fantastic CEOs or B Corp teams from businesses and you put your heads together you figure out how do we solve plastic for example or how do we solve this um you obviously have to deal with you know things like you have packaging is it a process though is it every you know you can't do everything at once can you and actually that's the misconception isn't it that b corp is suddenly you have to be purer than pure from day one you know no one can do that tell me about things that you are hoping to achieve longer term i think so packaging i'd say is one of the the most talked about topics externally and also internally by the team here like mm-hmm. customers yeah customers love the service but if if there's one thing that comes up consistently it'll be oh there's quite a lot of plastic for example so one of the things that we have started on pretty much from day one but in the last two years when we've been a bit bigger and we have, have had a slightly bigger team to to help us um and miles spearheads a lot of this is addressing that plastic issue and addressing the whole packaging and environmental carbon, carbon footprint issue. So an example would be, we know that green leaves, if you, want to, if you want to ship any green leaves in a box to a consumer, they can't go in things like a brown paper bag often because they all just wilt. So the consumer will get the, the spinach or the rocket and it'll turn up and it'll be yellow or it's wilted. So um, there's a reason why supermarkets put it in plastic bags. What we've tried to do, it, and actually we were up last week, no, the week before last, we were up at one of our farms in Worcestershire and we were looking at biodegradable packaging um, well, and compostable well. packaging. So we were, look, we're, we're going and we're meeting innovative cutting edge suppliers who are at the forefront of this change and we're introducing them to our our farms and saying can you incorporate this packaging let's do some tests on it let's send boxes mm-hmm. to our friends and family let's see how they the greens travel and i think there's lots of small things like that but as you say it's an evolution it's a journey mm-hmm. um as the big boys make changes that will help us massively but that doesn't mean that we sit back on our you know sit, sit on our heels and kind of just go yeah okay we'll wait till the big boys do it we'll be spearheading it pushing it challenging the bigger boys to to make that change and also you you support incredible charities as well which I was you know I can't wait to hear you tell me about it um you have an amazing scheme called one feeds two what's that most people think it means the recipe feeds two people <laughs> so we had to write charity partner above it because people were like this yeah, recipe doesn't feed two yeah. <laughs> oh, um, no. and it's, it does it does feed out the sun no I know it's a bit too elusive um, so yeah One Feeds Two is amazing it's um, a charity found in 2017 um, and essentially for every meal our customers buy we donate a school meal to a child living in poverty um, so all of our meals actually currently go to children in Malawi 
we've just gone through 1.8 million, I think, meals donated, which is just fantastic. Oh, and congratulations. Thank you very much. And it's something where you think, okay, this business can do something a bit bigger than just sending food boxes to people each week. And, and if we can do it, then we think a lot more companies can, especially bigger ones. But, you know, it's amazing. Giles and I went out to Malawi in March, was it? March, May? Yeah, March, yeah. March time uh, for the first time and got to go and spend time at some of the schools, went to a sort of high school and then to a little nursery where, you know, they had children, Stelia, who's the same age as my daughter. And, you know, for these children, they don't know any different. They're perfectly happy. They have, a, you know, we're there. So they're better getting to bunk off school a little bit while they yeah. mess around with us and play football. Or in my case, use me as a climbing frame for about 30 of them. <laughs> and, um, but you know, you're there and we're speaking to the teachers and they have this food program and we're saying, okay, so what percentage of these children is this their only meal of the day? And, you know, the teachers say, well, actually, it's probably around 55 to 60%. So then you realise, okay, this is actually making a huge impact because rather than their parents sending them to go and work for money so they can get food or to go and like scavenge for food, being completely mm-hmm. honest, they send them to school because they know they will get a meal. And that might be two hours walk to school, but they will send them to school. And as we know, the only way out of poverty is education. So hopefully, and the schools have told us attendance records are going up, those sorts of things people are doing better because they're more alert they have more energy so hopefully this small little change that we're able to implement we can encourage more businesses to do it get involved then it just has a, that sort of knock-on effect and these these children are able to actually raise their families out of hopefully out of poverty and just better their situations a little bit I I, um, started a charity called Happy Bricks and um, uh, built a school in Africa and understand that very much firsthand, you know, when I was with um, the kids and it's real and it's and it's incredible, isn't it, that your business is now helping those children. And, you know, who would have thought, you know, that moment that that fishing boat came up um, that you now are helping. What what did you say? One point. It's gone through one point eight million now meals. that have been. It's just incredible. and you have this clever idea, the reverse advent calendar that you're doing at Christmas. Is that right? That, that where customers can refill their empty boxes with food tins and non-perishable items and send it back to where you will redistribute it to people who need food. Is that in the UK, obviously? Yeah, so that's in the UK. So like I was sort of saying, we just like getting involved in sort of cool things and what would we like to do and what would be quite good fun so we do the reverse advent calendar so yes we'll have people send things back so I think last year we did about 20,000 food items came back and we distributed them across the UK so homeless shelters after school programs etc and this year we're going to try and do 100,000 but it's not just that you know we did a we did our first ever beach clean uh, back in the summer that was really just Giles and I trying to get on a beach for a day <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but on a serious point of view you know we we understand a skiving that, day but doing good. yeah exactly Exactly. We, we understand the sort of plastic problem and we just thought, OK, well, how can we do this? And as you say, harness the power of the community. So rather than it just being one beach, we thought, OK, well, let's really empower our community. Let's create a load of local champions. So we asked our community who wants to get involved. We'll send you everything you need. You just have to do it on the same day and then you just have to bring some friends and family. And I think we we were on about 125 beaches across the UK. And actually, you know, we ended up cleaning well over 13,000 litres of sort of plastic rubbish from beaches on the day so we could if, if everyone did that you know how much cleaner would everywhere be i think yeah that's the point is about inspiring change obviously we're just a small company 100 and something beaches and you can get challenged around oh what difference will that make but actually 
if we can do it and we show that it's 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 at the start of a movement and we empower others and, and inspire others actually i think what you'll see down the line is bigger companies and uh, big organizations getting involved and suddenly you're you're making quite a difference mm. what's coming through so strongly is this you're taking people along with you this whole thing from you founding the business packing up your 700 boxes you know I'm sure absolutely shattered but you have built this community with your customers and you really are involving them and it's for anyone really listening as well it's this idea that you everyone can do that you know you aren't alone as a small business if you, you've got this power of social media now whoever's following however many followers you too can use that um, strength and numbers to do something and it's I always talk about this sort of other element that people need to add in to their brands you know if I scratch the surface what is your brand? It's not a logo. It's not a tag. It's not a strap line. It's not, you know, what you do or your letterhead. It is about the essence and the spirit. And this is what marketing is the future, isn't it? This is marketing. It's actually not just using money to put an ad in a newspaper that will be thrown away the next day. This is using your community and giving back, saying, I will give you the tools to clean the beach. You know, that's a much better use of maybe marketing money um, than um, than in anything else that you could do. And certainly when I talk about my shop, for instance, you know, I always say it's not really rent. I don't look at it that way. I look at it as a piece of marketing. It's where we film all our YouTube videos. It's where we do our Instagram it's really I think this day and age is showing us how appealing to other people can be done in so many different ways and why probably the dinosaur mediums are struggling at the moment um competition you know people are worried you know when you're small business and you see someone else doing something similar you know it's absolutely distressing and or copying or all these sorts of things what do you think about competition because obviously you went into a market that was established it was big in the US and it's got some competition here in the UK but how do you view it? In the UK it's a lot bigger now you know you're looking at 200 250 million pounds worth and there's only really two big players and then we're probably coming up behind them at the moment I mean I think initially you always get slightly annoyed about it you know we there's lots of things that we've done and then suddenly, suddenly a few weeks later somebody else is doing it and you're like god that was a really good idea I wish they'd just sort of not realized that was happening yeah but then you sort of think oh, okay well we're obviously doing something right because if the big boys are going to put some money behind it and sort of follow what you're doing then you know you know you're onto something you know the last couple of years we've seen lots of the competitors have you know, driven prices down and, you know, whereas we've put our prices up in terms of just trying to maintain quality. So we do have real differentiators and USPs, health being one, quality being another. You know, we're not going to just bottom out prices just to try and bring on as many customers as possible. Actually, we're quite happy having less and just maintaining that premium positioning and just saying, yes, you can use those guys, but if you want to come and have, you know, a business that really supports like British produce and actually uses the best British produce and is good for you ultimately in the day and has a bigger impact mm. then come and mm. find Mindful Chef yeah I think I mean we often get asked or oh, what if Tesco's were to launch a recipe box or what if Amazon were to launch a recipe box we we absolutely embrace it because Mars mentioned the 200 million figure which is true it's 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 still actually when you say take that 200 million which is the um, what he was referencing there was the turnover the collective turnover of all the recipe box companies in the UK when you put that against the 220 billion 
spent on groceries every year. It's it's just minute. The interesting thing is, whenever Tesco's trials, a form of a recipe box, they've done some kind of in-store versions. Um, Some of the supermarkets have followed suit with their own. We see an uptick because what happens is the big boys, they open up their millions of emails. They open up um, exposure across their thousands of stores suddenly all these consumers who have never heard of or tried a recipe box before suddenly go oh what's that i might google it i might look for other ones and we're just coming along and saying hey guys if you're looking for a higher quality and a a solely health focused brand that's also delicious then come to our service because you'll love it and Mm -hmm. there's always room for that that player that's the premium player in any market and that's us and I, I think it's great I would I would love it if one of the big boys the big supermarkets really went for it because recipe boxes and also groceries online as a, a broader category are the way forward they may never be 50% of spend but it certainly won't be 7% it will be you know give it 10 years and Miles and I always always joke we go back to our, our school in Exeter once a year to do a, a sixth form talk and every time we go back we're just amazed we're looking at this audience who are just glued to their smartphones and when we were at school phones didn't exist and you're thinking there's no way that in five years time when these these guys are adults in the working world that they'll they'll be doing 93 percent of their grocery shopping offline and and so that's the the exciting thing and i think it's about riding with the tide which means that you're not really battling market forces mm. um so so the more exposure the better and for yourselves you've recently hired a ceo you're growing your business obviously it's going phenomenally well what does that mean for you you as founders now did you I mean firstly you probably never thought you were going to be hiring a CEO (laughs) you got out the packing the boxes quite quickly that was good and you moved through and you've now got a team of up to 30 people is that right 45 actually 45 (laughs) people what do you now do as a in terms of in your business are you now allowed to think you know I, I I'm I'm empathizing here as a founder you know are you able to get into those things you start thinking about oh we could do this we could do that and is the CEO there going mm, hello uh, maybe we can't do that this year what's now your future here yeah. what do you do that's a good question yeah <laughs> our staff ask us I think most of the time team uh no the the, the motivating factor behind um hiring a ceo was you know there's three of us uh which is great because you can always come to a decision because two always beats one right yes but really we wanted to grow up as a business we wanted Mm -hmm. to focus our own efforts on the channels that we're really good at but we work incredibly closely with uh the ceo and it's a that, that leadership team you know decisions aren't made unless we're all on board we're on the board as well so you know we're still in control of the company and it's not going to go any way that we don't want it to um it just means you have more structure and you're mm. able to make quicker decisions and you know it's probably better for the team you know that because we're always out anyway or we're doing something and actually it means they have a stable person who's in-house who can provide guidance and then you know Yes, like you said, we're able to step out of the weeds a little bit more. Um, And sometimes actually get into them a little bit more because you're not having to do the higher level stuff. Absolutely. Would you find that the the same, Giles? Definitely. I think it allows you to play to your strengths, number one, and also the the whole diving into different areas, which we still do a, a, a bit, but... Previously, sometimes that can slow things down if you're trying to dive into all, all the areas. You need to, at some stage, you need to mature a little bit and you need to mm-hmm. grow up as a business and understand that there are people out there. And, and that's probably the biggest thing and the most important thing for us is just em- embrace the fact that as founders, you can't do everything and you're, n- you're never going to be the best 
COO or CMO or CEO out there. So embrace the fact there are amazing people out there and bring them in. And guess what? If you bring great people in, the business will grow even quicker and flourish mm-hmm. in a way that you'd never imagine if you empower people, give them autonomy, let them basically show you with their experience what can be done. And as long as you've got that feeling that you're still you're still fully involved, you're making key decisions, you're, you're guiding the business in the direction that you want and that you've got the highest right, etc. I think it's a really good move and, and it's certainly proved for us. I mean, we, yeah, we brought a CEO in about a year ago and um, he, he's helped massively. We have a great working relationship, but also he's helped massively with managing up, managing the board, managing investors. So we can focus on you know, growing the business and what the next initiative is and what the new next MPD um, line is and et cetera, et cetera. So there's lots of, there's lots of benefits to it. And I think it's, it's a timing thing, really. We got to the point yeah. where we were, we were ready. Um, You're, you were ready. And I always say, you know, the founders are the Duracell battery of any organisation. We were talking earlier, I was, you know, I call it founder Titus, you know, what you bring this business, it's your baby, what you've created. It's slightly sometimes when you've grown and you're so successful as you. And I remember at Notton High Street where You've got to keep that going and actually running a business with 40 people and things. It's a full time job, you know, and there's not much time for innovation. And talking of innovation, what do you see the future being? Um, We really want Mindful Chef talking about very much sort of product product side here, not the wider sort of picture is your sort of. When you're thinking about healthy eating, whatever that medium might be, you're thinking Mindful Chef, you know, and mm-hmm. you're getting, we've launched frozen smoothies, fro- frozen ready meals this year. And they've all, you know, within themselves become really successful lines, almost businesses, you know, that that will do very well. So that's really where we're going to try and go with it, I think, is just when you think healthy eating, you mm-hmm. think Mindful Chef and we're just able to The brand and allowing cater. the brand to be the umbrella for all the things that you're, as you said, the brand has almost given you permission now, right, to, to look at other areas. It's been fascinating. Thank you for your time. I, I always end these interviews with the analogy that running your own small business is like being on an epic roller coaster. Can you both tell me what you would say has been your biggest low so far? Biggest low? It would probably be around the time of pre-crowdfunding where we were... The business was growing in terms of the number of boxes was growing. We were absolutely knackered and broken and, you know, seven days a week, et cetera, et cetera, and being in the warehouse from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. every weekend. But also the fact that it, it was running out of money and we could see that the business was a good idea. It was a great concept. But as with any, you know, look at Amazon, look at Ocado, these businesses lost money for years. And in our case, I think looking at that the night before, the, the moment that Miles touched upon, it was it was a it was a bit of a low. It was also very exciting, but it was very much, wow, are we gonna raise or is this is is, is this, this it? it? Is it is it over? Yeah, I mean, mine is, I always joke about Giles' grey hairs and then I recently found one in my own head of hair. So that's that's a new low for me. Uh, no, uh, it's, yeah, it's got to be that sort of moment where, you know, you've got no money in the bank and, uh, you know, I had a family. So, you know, it's, it is one of those moments. I'd also say that we decided we do healthy meals on a Sunday, Monday. So we lost our weekends for a good three years. And, um, you know, you certainly have low points where, the label printing machine's not working and it's taking you four hours to fix it. You know, I remember Rob 
throwing our one and only one against the walls. So we're like, well, that's not going to fix it, is it? <laughs> it's probably delayed us another four hours. And, you know, you're there at 6 a.m. You're like, we'll finish today by 12 p.m. And you're I there. I promise at, you, this is going to be it. Yeah, this will be yeah. it. And then you don't finish till 7 p.m. You know, yeah. it's, it's, yes, it's your company yeah. and you're all about hard work. But you have those moments there where you're like, oh, this is this it's is It's a digging a deeper now. than you've ever dug before, isn't it? It's that I, 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 I can really empathise. But conversely, your greatest high the main one for me was actually having that commercial success, but actually passing through the million meals donated to, to One Feeds 2, because we did that relatively quickly for a small business by our very nature being a subscription model. You, you tot up those totals pretty quickly. And going through that million meals and then and fairly shortly after visiting Malawi, I think that was probably the biggest high to, to actually look back and go, do you know what? Forget commercial success. Forget the, the traditional way people judge businesses by it's doing well yes, because it's yes. it's making money on paper and it's got investors believing in it. But actually just, you can look back one day and go, we made a positive impact on the world. That for me is uh, my biggest high. I can't believe you've taken Malawi. That was going to be mine. <laughs> well, it can be for both of us. It's big enough for I'll both of you. I'll choose another one. It's all right. Um, I do agree with Giles though. I don't think, you know, when when would you ever have the opportunity or inclination to go to Malawi? So for it's quite an incredible experience just to be able to go out and sort of just you know, sample the culture, the people and everything else. But um, I always think it's quite amazing when we have something like a summer party or a Christmas party and I'll stand there with Giles and Rob and, um, you know, you see 40 odd people and you go, oh, wow. Like, you know, we're, we're so lucky here because we play in that health and wellness crowd because online grocery it's the, and tech and everything's booming. And the brand piece, you have really bright, intelligent, hungry young minds come and work for you. And to see that and you think, wow. And you built that. And we built that. And there yeah. was three of us in an apartment behind Waterloo or whatever. And you think, now look where it is. It like for me, that's always got a big high. And I just sit and I just it just gives me a really big grin. And I just yeah. sort of go, wow, look at this. Yeah. And you smell the roses now and again. <laughs> and um could you tell me an inspi- an inspirational person or someone that you think that I could interview on this podcast? I would say the two the two ladies who set up, and I don't know how to pronounce it, but I think it's OWN, O-H-N-E, two fantastic girls about our age who we've met through in the startup circles, uh, Nikki and Leah, they are phenomenal female entrepreneurs and they've set up, um, it's an organic tampon business, just the most amazing branding I remember them speaking to us about investment early doors and they were they were struggling as well. And I only saw last week they were in Portugal, I think it was, at uh, some web summit, speaking to 15,000 people on stage. And I thought, wow, they've come a Gosh. long way, you know, in the two, three years that we've known them. So they're phenomenal founders to me. And as you touched upon earlier, there aren't that many female backers, female founders, so we need to um, get more of them. Thank you very much. And do you have anyone... Yeah, that springs the, to mind. They're one of our. I get to get two, you see here. You get two, and actually, I'm also going to follow Jar's roots of a female entrepreneur uh, because I don't think they're championed anywhere nearly near as much as they should be, and they're doing some amazing things. So Natalia, um, who set up a company called Form Nutrition, now they are a plant-based supplement company. They're also a B Corp, and they also support um, schools uh, in Africa as well. So they, that's a big part of their business model. So I'd say go and chat to them. 
She's Brazilian. She's got an amazing voice. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect podcast. And she's yeah. also a mindful meditation, like sort of teacher guru. So you'll have the best day ever and oh. you'll come out feeling an even better person than when you I arrive. think that's exactly, exactly what the doctor ordered. Well, thank you very much. I've come to the end of the interview. I'm going to hand over to you both in a moment. But um, I just want to say thank you and just huge, huge fan of what you're doing. And I I really can see you. I'm going to watch this journey in the next 10 years. Um, I think you're going to be giving those big boys a run for their money. And it's been a, an honour. Thank you so much. Thank you very thank much you. for having thank us. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you. So it's that time of the interview where I'm going to hand over to the founders. And I haven't heard these uh, letters before. Um, You've written a letter to your younger selves. And um, I just want to say thank you for sharing a piece of your soul with us today. Who's going to go first? Charles, we should have written it to each other's younger self. We should have been quite good. (laughs) Yes, you could have. I'll go first because his will will trump it with going all uh, all deep and meaningful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I went with this. I said, "Dear Giles, it's going to be a ride, a serious ride, a long, thrilling, bumpy, exhilarating ride. One day in the not too distant future, you'll step into the world of work for the first time." and experience the inner workings of some big companies. Huge companies, in fact. In these, you'll learn heaps. They are fantastic in their own right, but you'll learn more in one year of Mindful Chef and the startup adventure than you will have done in the first decade of your working life in some of those corporate giants. And I put why, because the startup entrepreneurial journey is about more than just a nine to five or nine to six. It's more than a paycheck, you'll learn things about yourself that you never knew before. Things will also have changed a lot by the year 2020. You'll notice that everyone cares a lot more about the environment and the world we live in. You'll build a business you're proud of that has a purpose, e.g. donating meals to those in poverty, becoming incorporated as a B Corporation and supporting supporting local food banks. Um, And importantly, younger consumers will really care about this and it will be a necessity for a business to have not a nice to have. You are by nature a very open person. Hold on to that for later life as it's important when building friendships and business relationships. Business, when you strip it back in the vast majority of sectors, is ultimately about human connections. People buy people. So long-term success will be built around those connections and interactions. Along the way, you'll experience some challenging environments, situations, and people. The world is a complex, varied place. Remember, everyone is different and everyone has opinions. Some are great and should be absorbed, embraced, and acted upon. However, a lot of which should be just left as that, opinions. Prepare to be positive, durable, and eternally optimistic. With a healthy dose of those three, you'll be armed well. Oh, Giles, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Over over to to you. you. How do I compete? (laughs) (laughs) Dear Miles, wow, what a ride it has been and we're only just getting started. You will experience many highs and lows, but the journey is well worth it. You should know how lucky you are to be surrounded by a family who love you and friends who make you laugh every single day. This is not something to be taken for granted. Much like the simple life of summers spent living out of caravans, feeling the warm sand between your toes and dragging your fingers through the sea as you paddle to catch another wave. Cherish these moments and every moment spent with your family because life is short and you never know what is waiting for you around the corner. 
The unexpected death of your father will force you to grow up quicker than planned, but luckily for you, your mother is actually superwoman. She will inspire you in ways you'll never truly be able to appreciate, and she will show you the value of hard work. Be kind to her. She is one of the most caring, selfless, amazing people you will have the privilege of knowing. Know when to take life seriously and when to take a break. Looking back, you won't ever regret the time you bunked off English to head to the beach with friends, or that time you arrived late for school because you were busy speaking to that girl from the school down the road. That girl will go on to become your best friend and your wife. You will travel the world together and create memories that will last a lifetime. Be kind to her, kinder than you think, for she will teach you things about yourself you wouldn't have realised had you not met her, and she will give you the best gift of all. A beautiful, kind-natured, amazingly funny daughter. This next chapter will be the most rewarding and challenging, but you should save every moment, for we know we are only here once, and life should be enjoyed to the fullest. You enjoy working with others, and your life will be filled with all sorts of jobs, from parking cars at the beach, digging foundations for houses in Australia, playing rugby in Europe, and eventually, you will go on to help create something truly important and special with two of your friends. These experiences will allow you the opportunity to meet people from all sorts of backgrounds and help teach you important life lessons around empathy, sympathy, understanding and leadership. Learn to say yes, don't regret anything and if you make mistakes, that's okay. It means you're living. Follow your gut, do what's right and remember sometimes that means taking the more difficult path. In the words of someone very famous, you're braver than you believe, stronger than you seem and smarter than you think. Enjoy every moment, Miles, for happiness is a choice you make. Here's to the next 30 years is set to be one hell of a ride. Wow. Wow. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. I do. I wish you absolutely everything. I see. Um, I see. Um, I'm just empathizing with the energy that I have in the room. And I just I just wish you it all. And I know it's just going to be a phenomenal ride. You're two wonderful people. And thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks thank very you. much. Thanks, Holly. NatWest again for sponsoring this podcast. It wouldn't exist without them and I know how many small businesses this podcast is actually helping. It's great to partner with an organisation that believes in empowering business owners. To make use of their free NatWest Business Hub, which is full of information, tips and insights to help business owners meet their goals, go to natwestbusinesshub.com. Also, have you heard of their incredible mission to help 400,000 more women start a business by 2025? To help female founders launch and scale their business, they have launched Back Her Business, a programme which helps women prepare their business idea for crowdfunding. Now, here's the best bit. Most of the funding will come from the crowd, where NatWest has teamed up with Crowdfunder. But the bank will provide a top-up in funding and will be offering up to 50% of an individual's fundraising target, capped at £5,000, for certain successful projects. Yes, you heard right. You could win the ability to have the amount you raised, if £5,000 or under, matched by NatWest. I wish I'd had this opportunity available when I launched Not on the High Street or even Holly & Co. Head to natwestbackerbusiness.co.uk to find out more.
Also, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversations of Inspiration. My mission is to help everyone build a business doing what they love. I've seen how happy founding a business based on your passions can make you and I want everyone to have that fulfilment. Happiness is the new rich and using your business as a force for good is the new way of doing commerce. So let's create a nation of happiness happy entrepreneurs that are changing the world for the better. Can I ask you a question? Might you help me on this mission? If you like what you've listened to, would you rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast provider? It will help others find this podcast and may just be the inspiration they need to follow their dreams. Thanks so much. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in 